0: Once our officers got on scene, uh, we were able to locate a male in the parking lot uh, who is deceased. Uh, the coroner has just arrived on scene now. Um, what we can tell you though, is that uh, witnesses that were at the scene uh, have described that there were multiple sounds of multiple gunshot wounds, uh, multiple gunshots. Um, and at this time we're appealing for any witnesses who might've seen anything in the area that may have left prior to police arrival to please contact our homicide unit. At 2 p.m. on the 24th of April 2014, Canadian police received a call about a shooting that had taken place outside of the Regina Sport Cafe in Woodbridge, a suburb of Vaughan, which is a city in the Greater Toronto area. When police arrived, they found the deceased body of a man. He'd been shot multiple times and the perpetrators had fled the scene. The victim was a man born in Uppido Mamatina, Calabria and according to reports, he was the connecting bridge between the Ndrangheta clans in the Locridi area of Calabria and the greater Toronto area. It was also revealed that he had traveled for a special meeting at that sacred place in the heart of Aspromonte, the sanctuary at Polsi. His name was Carmine Veducci, and according to Italian and Canadian law enforcement, he was a senior member of the Ndrangheta in Canada, a senior member of what is known as the Soderno Group. This is Deep Dive from the Global Initiative Against Transnational Organized Crime. I'm Jack Megan Vickers. Over the past few episodes, we've been in discussion with Anna Sergi, Professor of Criminology at the University of Essex, member of the GI Network of Experts, and author of the new book, Chasing the Mafia, and Drangheta, Memories and Journeys. In the last episode we looked at the relationship between the Ndrangerra in Calabria and Australia through one prominent clan, the Barbaros. In this podcast, we turn to the other side of the world as we look at Canada and the Sedano group. Welcome to the Ndrangerra. Part 3: The Chamber of Control. hanno individuato e sequestrato un altro ingentissimo carico di cocaina purissima nel porto di Gaetauro.
1: They say they're looking for gang members in Germany, Canada, and up to five in Australia.
0: During the investigation, our team travelled to Italy in order to seek assistance from the traditional organised crime experts where the Ndrangheta originated. Some 500 defendants, 600 lawyers, and more than 900 witnesses in total. Italy's largest mafia trial in decades
1: has begun. The cellar of an unfinished house in the village of Platti had a concealed door in the
2: wall. The carabinieri demonstrate how part of the wall can roll backwards on rails,
1: exposing the entrance to a bunker. The indragada are not just an Australian problem. They are a global problem. You must have heard of Tranghetti in your native Calabria. I was too young when I came
2: from Calabria. I was 17.
0: Okay, let's rewind to the first episode when we briefly mentioned a guy called Antonio Macri, known as Don Antoni. He was the undisputed andrangheta boss in Soderno from the 1950s and ruled the Soderno underworld for a generation. He was considered to be one of the most powerful andrangheta leaders in the whole of Calabria. Such was his prominence that he presided over a meeting of the Ndrangheta in 1953, at the festival of the Madonna of Palsy, that same sanctuary in Aspromonte where this podcast series started. Historian John Dickey described Don Antoni's criminal career as formidable and tells a story about how at one of the many trials he was acquitted at, Don Antoni's criminal record ran to 900 pages, with one judge describing him in 1969 as the living symbol of organized crimes, omnipotence and invincibility. But that invincibility would come to a sharp and violent end just a few years later. Again, in the first episode, we learned about the kidnapping season in Calabria and that this was one of the reasons the so-called First Andrangheta War was fought. It was during this bloodletting that in 1975, Don Antonio Macri was gunned down by four men after he finished a game of bowls. The First Andrangheta War is important because those powerful clans that emerged from the rubble still dominate today. And this episode is about one of those clans, the clan who replaced Antonio at the top of the Siderno underworld, the Commissos, under their boss, Cosimo Commisso.
1: As I have said, Cosimo Commisso is the unchallenged boss of Siderno, where nothing moves unless he wishes so. He owns houses companies land commercial activities and controls every business activity even when not directly controlled by him public work in the area is also controlled by him his rise to power after the death of antonio magri has been almost automatic as he was privy to narcotics and trafficking at the time already becoming the real business of mafia clans commisso was already handling the drug trade together with Vincenzo Macri, Don Antonio's son. Vincenzo could have been the successor of his father, he had the ability to do so, but he was arrested in New York for drugs and got almost 20 years. Another Macri, also named Vincenzo, also into drug trade, didn't have the substance to be a leader, he liked the good life and gambling and he didn't inspire power. Therefore, it was almost natural for Cosimo Commesso to take over the Siderno clans, as he had a strong family behind, while Vincenzo is now marginal to the organisation.
0: These were the words of a police informant, which are relayed in Anna's book, where he talks about the feud between the Commissos and the Costa clans over control of drug routes and Siderno during the 90s. The Costa clan had been heavily involved in Canada but needless to say that by the end of the feud, which saw at least 50 people killed, mainly in Calabria, but also Canada, the Commissos maintained their preeminence. So to this day, it's the Commisso and Drina who rule the Sardeno
1: group.
2: The Commisso family, which is now considered one of the most uh, important families of Dendrangheta and one of the most present in North America, more generally, used to be involved with the five families in New York, New York City and New York State for the heroin trade during the so-called pizza connection period. So when uh, heroin was uh, produced, refined in Sicily and moved to America uh, via Montreal or via New York, with the families between Canada and New York involved in the trade. Part of this trade was organised by the commissars uh, between Calabria and France and also uh, Canada. And this is how they essentially made their fortune by being the best drug traffickers at the time. So this is just one of the examples, but as, essentially it shows how they, as usual, the Nrangheta, some Ndrangheta families grew you know, in the shadows of Cosa Nostra.
0: And we briefly mentioned the pizza connection in the last episode. It was a Cosa Nostra-led heroin trafficking scheme, which saw heroin smuggled into the US in tins of tomatoes and distributed through a network of pizza parlours.
1: While Walter Mondale was unveiling his anti-drug campaign today, the Reagan administration continued to gloat over its efforts at cracking a heroin smuggling ring operating in Italy and the US. At a press conference in Washington today, Attorney General William French Smith said a new pattern of cooperation had been established with Italian authorities.
0: Now in Canada, the place where the Sedena group call home is a fairly nondescript suburb of the greater Toronto area, the same area where Carmine Verducci was murdered, Woodbridge.
2: I went to Woodbridge because there were operations active in Italy that related to individuals who lived and actually resided for decades in Woodbridge. So these are still linked to Siderno, these are still linked to the Commissos' broader family, Commissofigliomeni, and it, it posed an interesting research conundrum. So the research conundrum for Woodbridge was are the families in Woodbridge ruling? the Siderno families from Canada, even when it relates to Calabrian matters. So this was the question that we were supposed to be asking ourselves because the prosecutors uh, were saying that that this was the case. Woodbridge is a suburb. It's very close to Toronto. You can uh, go there by, you know, public transports. So it's an area where Italian migration is very visible. The place is very quiet, is a residential area, but it's also Canada. So it looks like Canada. So in order for us to imagine the Calabrian, let's say, criminality, and Drangheta type criminality active there, it does require some element of embeddedness in the area. And I think that was the most interesting part of it because the, the way Italians assume things work doesn't quite fit the area. They assume the control of territory happens in the same way. They assume that the power of some criminal groups of Calabrian extraction could be replicated in the same way as it is in Calabria. And this is not the case. This is not what you can find. You find a place which is mostly normal, (laughs) which is a normal place, where probably many things, many different criminal groups act, where there has to be coordination and, in a way, The achievement of respect in order to control certain activities requires different type of skills. So I think that's the added value of research in that sense. Woodbridge was really a a lot like Australia in that sense. It it did require me to kind of go beyond what the data that I already had showed
0: me. But despite these similarities, Anna noticed something quite unusual about organised crime groups in Canada. And it's really interesting because, to me, it reminds me of this process in illegal, unreported and unregulated fishing, IUU fishing. OK, stay with me here. There's this process called reflagging. Now, we went into detail about this on an episode last year called Fishy Business, but basically it means ships would change their flags and it allows owners to cut costs, avoid tax and so on. But reflagging is also known as a flag of convenience. Canada,
2: differently from Australia, has this peculiar hybridity to organise crime where different groups can choose what to be depending on the day and on the convenience. So if you are Italian, you can choose to be Sicilian, Calabrian only Italian, you can decide to be in you can decide to portray yourself as Cosa Nostra. There is a lot to gain from choosing different flags of criminality, and many different individuals, many different criminal groups know that. So this is something that emerged quite clearly. So to assume that the Drangheta in Woodbridge, just, just because they carry the same surnames and they carry the same interest or even connection very clearly... They maintain connection with Calabria to just assume that this brings the same phenomena to manifest in both places is just naïve, I would say.
0: When looking at any organised crime of Italian origin in North America, general society tends to view it through a Sicilian lens. So the famous five New York families, Bonanno, Colombo, Gambino, Genovese, Lucchese, and their offshoots in places like Buffalo, the Magadinos, or Traficante in Florida, or the Rizzuttos in Montreal, Although the Andrangheta like the Soderno Group have worked alongside these groups, like we heard during the Pizza Connection, the Hollywood version of the Mafia and the narrative history built up around them has led to any group with Italian origin being lumped in as part of La Cosa Nostra, the North American version of the Sicilian equivalent, which leads to confusion.
2: We have a situation in Canada whereby there is a kind of a category of organized crime, which is Italian organized crime, (I.O.C.). Uh, within Italian organized crime, we have Cosa Nostra families of whichever origin, and this is already problematic in itself, and some other Calabrian factions, of Italian organized crime, which is also problematic in itself. So essentially, you have pure Ndrangheta families that migrated from Calabria to Canada and link Calabria and Canada still today. And this would be, for example, the families in the GTA area, in the Greater Toronto area, around Woodbridge or... Vogan and other areas like that. So this would be the pure Ndrangheta. Then you would have the Calabrian faction of the Italian mafia, whatever that is, which might be people around Montreal, which come from an original feud between Sicilian and Calabria. These are not Ndrangheta, but they are Calabrian. So they are not properly Cosa Nostra, but they are not even Ndrangheta, so whatever they are. And then you have the Sicilian faction of Italian organized crime, which are just an original nostalgic form of crime mafia style. And then you have Cosa Nostra with links with Sicily again. So it's really confusing and it kind of goes to show how much law enforcement needs to place uh, labels of ethnic labels still on mafias abroad. It, it's just insane. What is the difference between Calabrian faction and Sicilian faction in Montreal if at the end of the day everyone is Canadian? <laughs> it just happens to have you know, grandfathers coming from Sicily or Calabria. So it's really problematic from a critical perspective. And it, it creates a very confusing um, scenario in today's Canada especially, but also in the uh, eastern coast of the U.S.,
0: If we look at the history of the Ndrangheta in the US and Canada, we can see evidence of groups originating from the Sudeno area dating back to the late 50s. A US law enforcement intelligence report, which was sent to their Canadian counterparts, said that elements of organised crime in the United States were planning to form a group in Toronto to be known as the Toronto Locale. Now given what Anna said a moment ago and groups reflagging or perhaps being just Calabrian rather than Ndrangheta you could ask the question whether this intelligence report is pointing to the Ndrangheta. What's important here is the term locale. This is a word intimately associated with the Ndrangheta structures. Locale basically means prime territorial Ndrangheta structure. And so perhaps here we should briefly talk about the structure of the Ndrangheta. At the top you have something called la provincia, the province, or il crimine, great crime, which is a supervisory body headed by the capo crimine, boss of the crime. Below that you have the mandamenti, the precincts. There are three of these in Reggio Calabria and then you will also have other national and international branches of the Ndrangheta. Below the Mandamente you have the Locale, which means locals. These people govern the territory and it's split into two. The senior branch is the Societa Maggiore, or Major Society, and the junior branch is called Societe Minore, Minor Society. Each one of these locale is made up of andrina or clans based around families like the Comissos or the Barbaros or the Piramali's. The Cosa Nostra don't use the term locale in their structures. It's exclusively the ndrangheta. But don't think of the ndrangheta as a single top-down organisation. This is an organisation from the bottom up. Each andrina operates independently. These structures allow more powerful and influential andrina to communicate. And coordinate actions or business when necessary, like divvying up contracts for major infrastructure works such as the Salerno to Reggio Calabria motorway, the A2, otherwise known as the motorway of the Mediterranean. But that's a story for another day. Anna writes in her book that each Andrina is pretty much anchored in its locale and coordinates with the branches based abroad. We saw that in the last episode with the Barbaros in Australia organising a murder in Calabria with the Barbaros based in Platy. But the Sedano group is different. They've adopted a sort of provincia or crimine in Canada, a senior leadership that deals with disputes within their local area, just like in Calabria. This is called the Chamber of Control and it's tied to Sedano, but Sederno doesn't impose judgments on Toronto. And yet actions in Canada have implications in Calabria and vice versa. Which brings me to a man called Carmelo Mua, the boss of the Mua clan. He was gunned down in Sederno in 2018. Now the Muas are an associate of the Comiso clan and they're based just north of Sederno in the village of Ferraro. The news of Carmelo's death enraged his brother Vincenzo. He thought he knew who had killed him. But this was a sensitive issue so he had to be careful on his mission to find out who was responsible.
2: So he didn't want to cause a feud, he didn't want to cause a problem within the Siderno group. So he went to Canada because he thought that the people in Canada, especially the brothers, the Filomeni brothers, could be the ones telling him which way to go. And the reason why he thought that was because the Filomeni brother at that time, we are talking about 2018, 2019, were the ones in charge of the Società of Siderno which comprises clans between Toronto, uh, Perth and Siderno as well, and also some of the European ones. They just happen to have dislocated power into Canada. So when he goes to Canada, what they do is not to talk openly about the murder. Neither they speak openly about the power structure in Siderno or in Canada. They simply look like they are measuring each other up. They go to dinner together. They bring each other uh, greetings from the respective families. They discuss face creams. They discuss ageing. They discuss all sorts of different things.
0: You heard that right face creams. Anna relays this story in her book. Vincenzo Mua has sat down for dinner with the Fiameni brothers, both alleged to be top and Andrangheta members in Canada. And they're talking about how great this new face cream is for slowing ageing.
2: But what this means essentially is that they consolidate a relationship. They essentially re- reaffirm whatever relationship they had already going on in a way that is considered to be more valuable when done in person. At the end of the day, when the law enforcement was following uh, these conversations abroad, so they managed to bug uh, the phone of Vincenzo Muya so that it could be intercepted also abroad, thanks to the help with, of uh, York police, I think it was. But essentially what they, what they found was nothing criminal. So the whole case, which was Operation Canadian Connection, collapsed. None of these people could be charged with anything because they weren't doing anything. They were just talking and visiting each other. So it looked like someone with a bit of a past, a criminal past, went to visit someone else with a bit of a past who happened to live in Canada. So there was nothing in their conversation that spoke about the criminality. And this is very much about the Ndrangheta traditional core the way in which everything you need to do you better do it in person and you better do it with innuendos and half-baked words and half-baked truths and somehow by learning what the other person's is about it's not just about business it is about family it's about the places where everyone is born is about creating some sort of yeah, identity around common origins and common, let's say, experiences.
0: And one of those traditions is meeting, talking and doing business face to face. Vincenzo carried on travelling, meeting senior members of the Sardeno Group in both Canada and Calabria, always in person. This shows the hypermobility of the Sardeno Group, the interconnectedness to find out who killed his brother in Calabria, Vincenzo traveled to Canada to gather information about what his next move should be. And it also demonstrates how important it is doing business face-to-face as well as eating together. Within the Sudeno group, the Mu'a and Fiomeni clans are both subordinate to the Commissos. So let's end with them. At the start of this episode, we heard those words from a police informant who talked about how... Cosimo Comiso had sidelined Vincenzo Macri, the son of Antonio Macri, after his murder. What was really interesting about this is what it reveals about the influence Calabria has over what happens in places like Canada and in this case New York and vice versa. He talked about how Vincenzo Macri, who had the capability to take over from his father, but had been jailed in the US for heroin trafficking. So Cosimo stepped into that leadership role, and the Commissos haven't looked back since. They have built the Soderno Group brand, the Societa of Soderno, an umbrella-like organisation that, according to Italian reports, now exists in over 90 locale
2: they are a criminal dynasty that means that they can keep their reputation linked to their surname and linked to their place of, of business so today whoever engages in any criminal activity in the area has to consider them they might not be subordinated to them they might not be subjected to them they might not even have to agree with them on certain ways to conduct business, that but they have to consider them in the territory. You can't just ignore them. So this means essentially that if you are engaging with the bikers, if you are a group engaging in trade of cocaine from Colombia via Mexico into the south of the US all the way into Canada and you have no ethnic connotation, you still have to engage once you arrive in GTA in Greater Toronto, you have to engage with them because they own a space in the criminal market. So this has to do with the way organized crime groups evolve rather than being Ndrangheta. The fact that they are Ndrangheta means something else entirely, which means that they can, for those who are in the business, let's say, in the criminal business, to know that this family is part of the Ndrangheta means that their uh, power doesn't stop there. It doesn't stop in Woodbridge, it doesn't stop in GTA, it doesn't even stop in Canada. It it can access, it can activate links in Calabria, in Italy, in France, in Belgium, the Netherlands, Ivory Coast, Western Africa, Australia. So the the possibility to access multinational cross-border networks, even if they don't, they can, and this gives them an extra edge.
0: Thank you for listening to this episode of Deep Dive from the Global Initiative Against Transnational Organised Crime. You might be thinking, hold up, wasn't this the last episode on the Andrangheta? Well, no. Turns out there'll be one more. And that'll be on the port of Joyeux Taro, one of the cocaine gateways into Europe. Again, thank you to Anna Sergi for joining us for these episodes. Anna's book, Chasing the Mafia and Drangheta, Memories and Journeys, is available now. Go and check out our website, globalinitiative.net, where you can find all of our latest research into organised crime. We'll be back with our final episode very soon. Thanks for listening.